Good morning. It's nice to have uh, Randy and Cheryl out this morning. Glad to see that they live by the spirit of the sabbatical and not the letter of the sabbatical. So nice to have you folks here. So this morning, oh, before I start, uh, I got some money here. I don't know who it belongs to. It's quarters, a bag of quarters. That's yours. All righty. All right, this morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5:21 through 6, 9, about relationship. And there's a number of places in the uh, New Testament where um, Paul talks about it, Colossians 3, 18 to 20. Uh, Peter also talks about it in 1 Peter. Put it up higher. Mm-hmm. Could be my belly. Uh, yeah, Peter, 1 Peter 2 and 3 also talks about uh, these relationships. But um, last two weeks ago, Phil Benner was speaking on the um, first part of the chapter. And I liked what he said, that uh, the book of Ephesians is God's reminder to his people who loves them. And uh, I think sometimes we need to be reminded, sometimes fairly often, of who loves us and how much he loves us. Um, They say that uh, it's a a book of love, God's love to us, and our response. Uh, We sing a song. We used to sing a song. I don't know if they still sing it. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Sometimes um, we get that mixed up and think that they'll know we are Christians by our theology or by our Christian distinctives or by our traditions. But... uh, That's not the way that the Lord works. He works through love. And uh, I'd like to uh, just read the first couple of verses of Ephesians 5. Don't turn to it. And then we'll pray. Watch what God does, then do it. This is Peterson's translation. I I tend to go there because, for me, it captures the spirit of uh, what the Lord is saying. Watch what God does and then do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not contagious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a what a challenge we you have given us. Um, but in spite of that challenge, you have given us everything for life and godliness, for the ability to know you, to know your love for us, and to respond in love not only for you but for one another. Lord, as we look at this passage today, may it be an opportunity for us to look at how we might love better and be uh, more of an expression of your love to others. And we ask it, Lord Jesus, that you might be pleased and honored by what we 
say and do this morning. Thank you in your name. All right. Uh, in this uh, passage um, on Ephesians 5, Paul is addressing couplets. He talks about husbands and wives, the first couplet. He talks about fathers and children, their children at the second couplet. And he talks about masters and slaves as the third couplet. And again, typically with the last one, we look at that as uh, possibly an employer-employee relationship. Uh, either way, the, the application of the um, things that are spelled out here are the same. Um, but Paul, as he, we look at this, these couplets, he, Paul addresses those under authority and those in authority. And he always starts with the most vulnerable first, those under authority. But before we go there, I think it's important to understand that our perspective of things, of authority, sometimes even the way we approach scripture and look at scripture is very influenced by our culture. Um, do I think that we can get away from that? No, I do not. I think God's grace is sufficient that he can work in our hearts and still speak to our hearts. But we all are influenced by our culture in a way that sometimes we're not even aware of. And I think in a lot of ways that should keep us humble and also keep us dependent on God speaking through to us. But our, uh, our perspective is influenced by a culture that knows nothing of God's calling and purpose. Uh, that, uh, that's always been the case, but in our, in our situation, I think the enlightenment we, uh, where man's reason became primary over every other way of knowing certainty uh, became the primary source of authority. Certainty became the goal of understanding and not relationship. It was important to be able to be certain about what you knew and to reason it out and logically think through it. Um, the other piece of this is spiritual maturity, which has been, you know, we have an idea of what does it mean to be spiritually mature. But I think in light of some of the things with the enlightenment, we need to correct our understanding of even what spiritual maturity means. Um, I would like to think of, spiritual, of breaking that up into first half of life and second half of life growth. The first half of our lives we are, is spent um, choosing to love. And, we, and I guess I want to use that way of spiritual maturity is looking at learning how to love. And the first part of our life is meant to look at choosing to love. The focus there is on obedience. It's on behaviors. Um, if you love somebody, you'll, you'll do what they ask you to do. If you love the Lord, you, you will obey the Lord. Um, if the relationships, the relationship is one of function. It's responding to authority. And authority in this life is needed. It's needed in order to have functioning relationships. And it's also needed for protection. Um, God has given us the gift of authority to protect us and allow us to function in relationships that could be um, really haphazard. Um, one of the examples that I, I thought about at work was 
when I was young, especially when I was younger, uh, I used to take a lot of shortcuts with things. Things needed to get done, and I was kind of good at expediting things and taking shortcuts and not necessarily going by the, the protocols that were outlined by the, or that were um, uh, asked by the company. Sometimes I would take chances, um, things like that. But I gradually came to realize that to the degree I was taking chances and not abiding by what the company asked, which sometimes seemed ridiculous to me. Like, geez, we could do it so much easier this way, or, or you know, if we could just change this. I came to realize that by doing it my way, I was putting not only myself at risk, but also the company at risk, whether it was a physical risk or whether it was a legal risk. And so I began to step away from that and realize how important sometimes it is to follow things that even don't make sense for our protection and in order to function well together. Anyway, we are, because it is a gift of the Lord, we are to respond to every authority. Um, Second Peter one or Second Peter two talks about this. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as set by him for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to Christ. So we are to submit to authority. And the first half of life is learning how to respond to authority, how to obey, um, how, how to grow in an understanding of, of how to love. However, the Lord doesn't leave us there. Unfortunately, we sometimes stay there, but the Lord doesn't leave us there. He's calling us, and you'll notice this in each of the, in each of the couplets, he calls us to a higher calling, a higher, higher than just functioning. We are called to not only learn to obey, we are called to learn how to love. And so the, I, I've seen this in myself, the second half of life, is learning to love. It's more of a focus on relationships. It's more of a focus on the heart. Learning to love so that we can have relationships of blessing and we can respond to love. So the first half of life is choosing to love. The second half of life is learning to love. And you may say, well, what's so hard to, I mean, what's to learn about love? Um, Sometimes it gets pretty difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's like, how do, you, how do I respond in a way that is a blessing uh, and rather not just doing the right thing, the good thing? So husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, and again, I, as I mentioned before, 1 Peter 2 and 3 talks about this. Biblical relationships are a two-way process. It's a give and a take for both parties. It's, it requires a, an openness to each other, uh, an openness for feedback. It's not just the, the person in authority giving instruction and the one under authority just responding. Um, the one in authority needs feedback from the one under authority. And so it is, it's an important two-way relationship in order to be healthy. In this passage, wives are to submit to their husband's love. 
that's, that's interesting. Didn't say just submit to their husbands. Submit to their husbands' love as we submit to the Lord's love. There's a, the real parallel there. They are to respect their husbands. And it is, a, I think it is a learning process for men, women to learn to respect their husbands, just like it is, and we'll get to the men part of it. Um, we have a tendency to kind of see things uh, as we are rather than as they really are. And, you know, I've noticed in, even in my own marriage that I have had to learn what it means to love my wife. Um, I can't just take that for granted. And, you know, I think with my wife and learning to respect me, it's, it's a matter of she's had to learn what, how do I perceive respect? It's not just giving me what she sees as respect, but how do I perceive respect so that she can respond to, in a way that I feel affirmed in that area. Um, it's a learning process, and we need, we need to give opportunity through discussions of things, what, that, what does that mean? I was, as I was thinking through this passage, I was thinking how uh, men are called to love their wives as Christ the church. I was thinking how wives in some ways um, are almost like the Holy Spirit for us. I mean, if you think about what Jesus, when he referred to the Holy Spirit, he referred to the Holy Spirit as a companion and as, some, as a helper. And I think that is true. I think the Lord works through our wives to help guide us in the decisions we make, things like that. And so in some ways, if, if the husband is to be like Christ the church, the woman is like the Holy Spirit who feeds uh, the husband in a relationship and is a helper that way. I just, I don't know, I just thought it was a really nice piece to think um, not just as somebody that's below me, but someone who is equal and par with me because there's no levels in the Godhead. In the Godhead, they're all at the same level of, of love. And this, to me, this kind of thinking kind of elevates uh, the woman's role in a marriage. In like manner, men are to lead their wives in love. And this is uh, from 1 Peter 3, 7. Uh, Peter says, be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Men are to love their wives as much as themselves. And again, like the women learning what does respect mean to a man, we men need to learn what does love mean to our wives or to women. Um, we can't just respond to what we think is a loving thing. We have to, it's a process of learning. Um, we men are very good at physically sacrificing our, our, you know, our time, our lives, but we're not very good at emotionally making sacrifices. We, we have a tendency to just express love through what we do. Intimacy and presence are many times replaced with activities. And if you're going to love your wife well, it's going to require learning what, what intimacy and presence is. <clears throat> I remember um, a number of years ago, and I, I use this example a number of years ago, 
because I, it was a powerful learning lesson, and I, I think I've learned something from it. But I remember Fran, and I may have shared this before, Fran came into the living room, and she was very upset by something she had done. And as a good husband, I asked her what was going on, what happened, and she started explaining to me you know, what she did that she was so upset about. So I tried to give her an education and explain what she had what she could do next time so it won't happen. I mean, we don't want these things to happen. Look how upset we get. So, and right in the middle of that, she just blew up at me. I don't want to know what I should have done right. I just want you to be there for me. It's like, <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. I can't do anything. I didn't know what to do. And I just sat there. And she sobbed on the couch and it's like, Oh, Lord, I'm, I need help. <laughs> and he helped me. Go up and put your arm around her. So I got up, put my arm around her. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat there while she sobbed. And inside me, I, I was dying. I wanted to say something. I, I wanted to comfort her. So I said, keep your mouth shut. And she worked through that. We, I don't remember us even talking about it afterward, but she was okay. She went on. The next, the next day she said to me, I don't think I've ever felt as loved by you as last night. I said, love? I said, I was dying inside. <laughs> How about that? You got to die in order to love. But any, anyway, it was, it was a learning lesson for me of just, I need to learn what love means to her, not give her what I think is love. So it's a reciprocal relationship. Women, don't take for granted you know what your husband, what respect means to your husband. Be open, talk to him about it, hear from them. And men, talk to your wives about what is meaningful to them. What makes them feel most loved by you? Love is also a matter of knowing a person's heart. Um, Again, Phil talked about in John 14, he's a verse about Jesus. When uh, Philip was saying, Lord, just show us the Father. What did Jesus say? Have I been with you so long and you don't even know me? If you knew my heart, you'd know the Father. And I think sometimes that's where we get in trouble. We know each other by our behaviors, but we, do we really know a person's heart? We get so caught up sometimes in what they say, we don't listen beneath the words. We don't try to connect with a person's heart, try to know their heart. We need to learn how to do that. That's what Jesus is inviting us into, to know his heart. It's not just about obeying. It's about knowing his heart. If you know my heart, you obey. Focus is not about obeying. The focus is about love. Just going back to this whole idea of authority, we have a tendency to view authority as control. We would be rather be right about something than to love somebody. What if we looked at authority more as an expression of love rather than one of hierarchy or one of control? You know, it's interesting. Jesus does not control us. I mean, has anybody in here ever felt controlled by God, by Jesus? Has anybody ever felt controlled? I, I never have. I felt like the Lord lays things out for me for my life. 
uh, it lays things out for me to know him well, but never once do I feel like it's that he's controlling me. He gives me freedom to live my life, but he gives me the grace and the mercy to stay connected to him when I go astray. He gives us freedom in the context of love. What we learn from that is we learn to surrender, surrender to his love, to let go of trying to protect ourselves, and we can surrender because we know the Lord's heart. And maybe that's the problem for us. That's been my problem of giving, of surrendering to the Lord. I don't know his heart. And sometimes he seems like a true, a, 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 a taskmaster. Why? Because I don't know his heart. I don't know his heart. All right, moving on to children and parents. Um, children are to obey their parents. But again, it's not just about obedience. It's a higher calling. Okay? They need to learn the first half of life discipline. But they, too, are called to a higher level. They're called to not just obey their parents. They're called to honor their parents. There's a little bit of difference there between obedience and honoring. It's connected to a promise that it might go well with you and you have a long life. I think about, uh, I was thinking about the prodigal son in this situation. The prodigal son had obedience down pat. For all these years, he served his father well, did what was required but he missed his father's heart, um, and he, n- he didn't really honor his father. He just saw his father as somebody he had to report to. And when it came down to it, he didn't have a heart for his, his brother either. And it's so sad, so sad in his father. But the prodigal son is, is a good example of what happens when your focus is just obedience and not seeking to learn the heart of those in your life that the Lord has called you to honor. Fathers are to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're given the structure and they're taught how to respond to authority. We can easily exasperate our children by setting expectations too high. And he speaks specifically to fathers when he says, do not, do not exasperate, do not frustrate your kids. We have a tendency to set expectations too high. We have a tendency sometimes just to control them. And I'm speaking from my own experience as a father. Uh, Sometimes it was just so much easier to try to to manage them or control them rather than to love them. Um, I was thinking, the Lord reminded me of this verse in Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, He's mindful that we are but dust. He knows how vulnerable we are. Do we know how vulnerable our kids are when we're raising them up, when we're setting expectations? We need to come alongside them. We need to get down at their level. We need to teach them not only uh, how to love, but we also need to teach them how to suffer for love's sake. How do we do that? We do it by living example with our, in our marriage. Do we suffer for love's sake in our marriage? And what does that look like? Well, for each of us, it'll, it'll be different. But do, do we suffer 
in order, do I suffer in order to love my wife well? I look back over the years of a marriage and I just realize I have not suffered love well. When things have not gone my way, when I've been upset about things, I would get angry or I withdraw. And that's still my default. It's still my tendency, not just in my wife, but you say something that threatens me or bothers me, I either get angry about it or I just pull away from you and just until it, it till passes. Uh, this, is, this is not love. This is not love. And it's an area of my life that um, the Lord is working in. Next couplet are slaves and masters. Servants are called to respond as well, to not only to authority, but they're called to a higher calling. They're called to respond to the Lord. It's not just the person over, over you that you need to respond to. You need to respond to the Lord as if he is the one that's giving you direction. It's not just about obeying. That's why in... in um, Matthew 5, Jesus talks about if somebody, if you walk a mile with somebody and want you to go too, go with them. If he asks you for his shirt, give him your coat as well. What's, what's that about? It's about realizing that God is calling us to more than what's expected, more than what's required. He's asking us to be willing to give, not just to give what's required, but to give and respond at a higher level. And our tendency, our tendency just to only walk a mile is because of fear. You know, you think about the fears we have of those um, being under authority. We might fear uh, getting into arguments or having a breach of relationship with our bosses. Uh, it might be um, that we fear maybe not getting a good report, a, a good evaluation, or maybe not making the next increase in pay. There's a lot of things that actually affect our response to our bosses that have no, nothing to do with going the extra mile. On the other side, these leaders are called a servant leadership. That's their higher calling. By not threatening or taking advantage of uh, other workers, some of the things that uh, some of the things that have happened are playing to the fears of, of people who work underneath of us, trying to manipulate them or threaten them, taking advantage of their conscientiousness. How many times does that happen? We have a good worker and um, we just take advantage of it. Well, well, we'll give it to John because you know he'll, he'll do it for us. Well, John's already overworked, that's okay. We need it done and he'll do it for us. Sometimes we appeal to things like it's a commitment to the mission. What about, don't forget the mission. Sometimes it's hard to remember the mission when you're surrounded by alligators. Um, ministry, sometimes it's a commitment to ministry. And you, sometimes you can be so in deep into the weeds that you don't even know what the ministry is anymore. But those are the kind of appeals that are made to take advantage of those who are, over, are overly conscientious. Or sometimes just promising more than you can deliver, holding out a carrot, and not you know not being able to follow follow through with that, make good on that. So these we have these three couplets, and 
in each of the couplets, we're called to a higher level of response. Um, all, all, six, all six of the individuals there. But there is a difficulty with that. We all have blind spots in our lives, things that interfere with our ability to move to a higher calling. Um, what I call them are obstacles of love. Regardless of what, what relationship you're in, we're called to love, and that's what the higher calling is about. Uh, there's a term you may be familiar with, and some of you are familiar with it. Uh, it's, it's kind of a new term for me, but it's like an umbrella term. It's called, we all have a shadow side to ourself. Uh, and under that shadow side, there's a bunch of different uh, areas where we, are, we have blind spots. But the shadow side is a part of us that we, we don't like to think about very much. Sometimes we, we like to pretend like it doesn't even exist any, at all. Um, and certainly we don't want other people being aware of it. But I have listed four things here that um, I think contribute to that, that shadow side. And the first one is, is ignorance. There's a sense for all of us is we don't know what we don't know. And it's not such a big problem. I mean, it's not like we can't learn things. But sometimes we talk about things as if we know, we know all there is to know about that reality. Um, an example of this is like uh, somebody might have gifting in a certain area in their life, uh, whether it be in the church, it doesn't matter. But they have a certain gift, it's always, it becomes a strength. But every strength has its liability side. It's like a sword that cuts both ways, two edges of the same sword. Um, that if you do too much of your gifting, it actually, actually ends up doing, causing problems or damage. So it requires wisdom and discernment. It requires going to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, you've given me this gift, but I know how easily I can misuse it. What, what would you have me do in this situation? Um, and a good example of this, a lot of folks are caretakers, and caretaking is, is good. I mean, I, I'm a caretaker. I mean, that's why I've been in social services. I like helping people. I like caring for people. But... It can also be the other way where I end up rescuing people. And that's not showing respect. That's for their ability uh, to not only, you know, help themselves, but also their need to go to the Lord to help them. If I can do everything for them, they don't need, they don't need to do it for themselves or take responsibility for it. And so, again, it's, it's a matter of, okay, where do you draw the line? Well, it's not black and white. It's again, Lord, what would you have me do? Sometimes in a situation, it's just to stand back. Stand back and watch what I'm going to do. It may take a while, but watch what I will do. 1 Corinthians 13, a great chapter on love, says we see through a glass darkly. I mean, that should be some, give us a clue that we really don't know everything there is to know. And the reason why so many of us are so certain about what we believe is that we haven't been thoroughly confused by life. Um, life has a way of throwing us curveballs sometimes. And the Lord uses those in our life to help us open up our understanding of greater realities so that he might not only use us with, more effectively with folks, but that we might more enter in more into our appreciation of him. 
We need to hold our understandings and our beliefs and convictions with humility. What we want to stay away from is defensiveness. And it's so easy to be defensive uh, about what we know. We can become very dogmatic. We can be in an argument with people. We manipulate people or confront people. And we're all doing it in the name of truth. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I think we need to talk about what, what truth is. But I don't think we need to be dogmatic and we need to, that everything is black and white. There is a whole area in our lives that is, unless you go to the Lord, you don't know which way to take. And I think that's by design. Because if everything is black and white, we wouldn't need the Lord. We'd just make the right choice. We'd make, if we made a bad choice, we'd just change it over. Much of life is gray. And that's where we live our life, and that's where we need to be dependent upon the Lord. Humility is needed. How, is humility, how does humility enter into this? It's by asking questions. You know, I, Joe, I disagree with what you said. I can either get into an argument about, you, about it with you and tell you why you're wrong, or I can say, well, geez, Joe, I don't, I don't see it that way. Help me understand how you came, came to that. So I ask, become intrigued by Joe's response, which is different than mine. And I begin to try to understand where he's coming from. And maybe in the process, I may learn a few things that I didn't know before. When you run into a situation that you disagree with or is difficult, ask yourself, am I being defensive? Or is it intriguing to me? Do I ask questions to better understand, to seek to understand? So the first one was ignorance. The second one is dualistic thinking. And I've referred to this already. It's black and white thinking, right and wrong, either or. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think there are black and whites. I think there are rights and wrongs. But I think we put that label on things that it doesn't apply to. Because there are things in life that aren't black aren't completely all one or the other. We, we live our life, but every day we're slowly dying. And I, you know, in the job that I work in, in hospice, you become more aware of that. It's easy not to think about that, but we all are on a pathway of death, but yet we're living. There's, that, there's, there's two pieces together. We hold both of them in our hands. God inhabits a fallen creation through his Holy Spirit. His presence makes common things holy. Jesus said, you being evil, give good gifts. How can you give good gifts if you're evil? The incarnation and death of Jesus broke down the dividing wall with the Spirit of God in our hearts, even though we continue to sin. We must learn to hold opposites in tension, realizing it's not all one or the other, but there's a, there's a tension to be held. It's the same thing with, with disappointments in life and difficulties in life. It's not a matter of getting, oh, getting past the pain, getting past the grief, getting past the bereavement so you can get back into living life and enjoying life again. It's realizing that those things that have happened to you, that have caused you pain, you live with them with the joy, that the pain and the joy go together. Brian said it this morning, how just the whole idea of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. There's sorrow in realizing it was our sin, but there's joy in knowing the hope of the resurrection. 
There, it's a both and, not an either or. Where this is, this whole thinking, black and white thinking, is played out is in politics. I mean, look, look at the mess our country is in. The political parties can, cannot work together at all. It's either my way or no way at all. And so what it does, it has divided our nation. Uh, I would say we're getting close to the breaking point with this. We, somehow, unless God intervenes, we need to figure out how to come together in the middle. It's not about one party or the other party. I mean, it, what, what's interesting is both parties keep out a third party who could be helpful to this country. But they're so set in their ways. The third one is on agreement. The things that uh, we say to ourselves, okay, to protect ourselves from hurt and pain and to prevent, what happens is it prevents growth and maturity in us. There's interpersonal uh, agreement. Things that happen in relationships happen in marriage. Well, I won't say anything to, to her if she doesn't mention this to me. Um, you know, I won't, I won't, I'll let her do that so that she, she won't say anything to me about that. The little kinds of uh, agreements that we, we make, sometimes unconscious, but we make them with each other, and they're not really, we don't really have an openness to be honest about it. Again, what it does, it prevents growth and intimacy in the relationship and maturity. There's also intrapersonal agreement. Uh, things we say to ourselves. I'll never be able to do that. Or I'm really stupid. That was a stupid thing to do. You ever say that to yourself? That was dumb. You're judging yourself. Um, do you condemn yourself? Do you find yourself condemning yourself or judging yourself from time to time? Are you too hard on yourself from time to time? These are agreements you've made with yourself that somehow I will not let this happen to me. One of the things, I'm going to just be pretty open here. One of the things that kind of drives me crazy a little bit, and I, I say this in all due respect, some people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, I understand that, but no, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're so much more than that. But by focusing on, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, we never move beyond that to our higher calling sometimes. And we've got to see, we're much more, we are much more than who we've become. And if all we see ourselves as a sinner saved by grace, then we never become that much more what the Lord is calling us to. We need to identify these agreements as they come up in our relationships, as, we, as the Lord gives us grace to see them, catch ourselves sometimes when we judge or condemn ourselves, and learn to break those agreements. I mean, I, you know, I've, as I was working on this message and thinking about this whole thing, I don't know how many times I caught myself, boy, that was stupid. What a dumb thing to do. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a human thing to do. It's not dumb, it's not stupid, it's a human thing to do. But I made an agreement, I can't allow myself to be human. There's too, much, there's too much vulnerability there, too much pain, too much rejection by others. So we need to identify and break those agreements. The last one, uh, if we get on, get on this last one, we may never get off of it. Du duplicity. 
And what I mean by duplicity is we all contribute to the problems that we want resolution in. Can we see things as we are, not as they really are? We have an innate tendency to support, to find support for what we believe and just ignore the rest. We have kind of an aware, uh, just this built-in mechanism to, to deny certain things because we want to go on believing what we have decided is right. What ends up happening is it leads, leads to dogmatism. If we're not open, we're closed, and we become very certain about what we know. And what ends up happening in relationships, it causes problems in relationships. We don't see it because we, we have our denial in place, and it contributes to the problems. I have a, a little short story about this whole thing with, with we don't see things as they are. It says, a man pulled into a gas station on the outskirts of town. As he filled his tank, he remarked to the attendant, I've just accepted a job in town. I've never been to this part of the country. What are people like here? What are people like where you come from, the attendant asked. Not so nice, the man replied. In fact, they can be quite rude. The attendant shook his head. Well, I'm afraid you'll find the people in this town to be the same way. Just then another car pulled into the station. Excuse me, the driver called out. I'm just moving to this area. Is it nice here? Was it nice where you came from, the attendant inquired. Oh, yes, I came from a great place. The people were friendly, and I hated to leave. Well, you'll find the same to be true of this town. Thanks, yelled the driver as he pulled away. So what is this town really like, asked the first man, now irritated with the attendant's conflicting reports. The attendant just shrugged his shoulders. It's all a matter of perception. You'll find things to be just the way you think they are. And if you look at your life, you'll see that's true. You see that's true. We see things as we are, not as they are. Relationships are messy. Um, and if you don't find that to be true, then maybe there's a number of things that you're not looking at. I remember one time being in school, and I remember a pastor shared with the class. He said, you know, my wife and I have been married 52 years, and we've never raised our voice. We've never got upset with one another. And I thought, boy, which one of you are dead? You, you can't have... You can't have intimacy in relationship without working through and struggling through with stuff. And the Lord gives us the resources we need for that. But if you have a kind of relationship where you don't have that, that struggle for love, to learn what it means to love each other, I really question how well you are loving each other. Many times our relationships, they don't seem messy because what happens is our, the, our sin patterns, the way, the way that you know, we manipulate our lives and stuff, they, they dovetail with one another. And so, or through agreement sometimes, I'll give him this, if she gives me that, we, they dovetail. And so it's, a lot of times they don't seem like it's much of a problem. But the fact is sin runs deep for all of us. We try to shine up our behaviors, spirit with good behavior, spirituality, and denial. And we end up settling for sin management. 
we just try to manage sin. Like we're sitting in a bathtub full of ping pong balls and we got to try to keep them all underneath the water. Believing the, you know, sin management about believing the right things but sacrificing loving others well. We need to step back and look at our own contribution. It requires humility. We need to use other people as a mirror. When there's some conflict or when there's things that don't go right in a relationship, do I take a step back and say, hmm, am I intrigued by what's, you know, what's going on there? I know in my own marriage, there's been things that Fran and I, we've hit an impasse on. We can't talk about it. Do I keep pushing it? Does she keep pushing the issue with it? Sometimes we've done that and, and gotten nowhere with it. So what do we do? We need to find places, relationships with people that we can process and talk about some of that stuff. What is it, what is it I'm doing? Not so much to talk about my wife or to blame her, but look, we're, we're at an impasse here. What am I doing? And I, I've been blessed to have friends like that in my life. They say, well, Bob, have you ever considered this? Have you thought about this? You know, it seems to me, I've seen the two of you interact and every time she says this, this is how you respond. So they're acting as a mirror for me, helping me to see behavior that I'm, that I'm unaware of. We need, to identify our we need to identify these areas of our life. When we, when we get defensive, when we get angry, when, we, when we're afraid, we get anxious, when we try to justify ourselves, when we start judging other people. Those are the things, those are like little red flags that we can use to kind of take a step back and say, what am I doing to contribute to the problem? I'd like to just maybe share a personal example of my own story with this. Um, it's, I, it's something that is, uh, I guess the Lord has really brought to my attention in the last, I don't know, six months, but it's really been coming to a head lately. And I've noticed that one of the most important things for me is that I appear competent. Um, I spent the first half of my life working at developing competent skills and learning what not to do, what to do, um, looking, uh, looking competent enough uh, so that um, people might need me. People won't push me away, but oh, yeah, Bob knows that, or he, he, we can go to Bob, he's, he's, he's got answers for that. Uh, and I've done all kinds of things to develop that. Uh, develop, I've even noticed, I love to read, but I wonder how much of my reading is to help me develop competence, and not even so much for the enjoyment of it. Um, one of the things I gave up for Lent was reading. And uh, I kind of felt like, I, I wasn't sure why, but I felt like it was where the Lord was leading me. And as a result, it just, I've been able to see how I use my reading to develop this area of competency that I can't let go of. And I need, and just by not reading has helped me to see um, just begin to see what I need to let go of. The other piece of this is in my need to be competent is, is dependent upon expectations of other people. I never understood why people's expectations of me threatened me. You know, if you expect something from me. If I, if I know how to respond to it, it's one thing, but if you expect something from me and I don't have control over it, it's a, it's a threat to me. And so what do I do? I end up kind of backing away from those relationships that have expectations or backing away from relational problems. 
What I mean by that is, again, the expectations of other people, feeling threatened by them, or avoiding those who, who have a threat in my competency, somebody who is much better at doing something that I am not. I have a tendency not to engage them. I have a tendency to pull back. I used to think that people brought the worst out in us. I remember, and I may have shared this story, I remember working uh, with a, uh, a colleague that uh, would just, I mean, she just brought the worst out of me. Uh, I got to the point I almost hated her. In fact, probably if I was honest with myself, I did hate her. It's like, how, how can I be a Christian around this woman? Imagine that. But I, I um, the Lord, um, one day going to work, the Lord, I, I felt like he spoke to me. And I just wrote these thoughts down that uh, helped me put that whole thing in perspective. That woman was a gift to me, and I didn't see it. I just saw her as a threat. And this is what I felt like the Lord gave me. People don't bring out the worst in us. They just expose our shadow side, the part of us we don't want to face. We end up resenting those who ex expose our shadow, and then we seek to keep it hidden from others and even from ourselves. And we do that by judging them. And I judge this lady terribly. This is why judging others is so harmful. We resist the grace that God gives us to acknowledge and embrace those areas of our life where we need to grow in love. Bringing them into the light diminishes their power in our lives and allows us to embrace those areas with compassion. I'm not saying we need to embrace our behavior or our sin. What I'm saying is we need to embrace those areas of vulnerability that we experience that we try to cover up. We then begin to realize that being perfect or right all the time is not only tiring, it's a venture in futility. We begin to see that being in right relationship, which I'm calling righteousness, is what the Christian life is all about, responding to and growing in love. We need the people who cause us pain because they expose what we don't know about ourselves and prevent us from growing in love and loving others well. They don't bring out the worst in us. Wounds which aren't healed are transferred to others in relationships. It seems like instead of choosing the tree of life, we've opted for the tree of knowledge. And we've learned to use our knowledge and our dogmatism as a mean to, means to control others, a way to avoid pain and disappointment. This is not love. What is love? What is our example? Well, we're going to be thinking a lot more about that next Sunday as we, or Good, or good Friday, I should say, what is love. But um, I think First Peter 2, 21 to 24, speak to it of our Lord. You've been called for this very purpose since Christ also, also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. 
And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Are we willing to take wounds from other people in order to love them well, in order to allow God to heal them through the wounds that we take? The way of love requires entrusting, yielding, letting go, and as the song said, surrendering. Surrendering to how much God loves us and delights in us. We are all much more than what we've become. And God is continually calling us up to a higher level of loving. I'd like to end with two quotes. All suffering is potentially redemptive. All wounds are potentially sacred wounds. It depends on what you do with them. Can you find God in them or not? If there isn't some way to find some deeper meaning in our suffering, to find that God is somehow in it, and can even use it for our good, we will normally close up and close down. And the second half of our lives will, quite frankly, be small and silly. Love and suffering are finally the same because those who love deeply are committing themselves to eventual suffering, as we see in Jesus. And those who suffer often become the greatest of lovers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how do we not only begin to thank you, but to continue to thank you for what you've become for us, that you willingly lived a life with sinful people, a broken world, absorbing the poison and the wounds of this world so that we might have life that we may be able to step up into the love that you and the Father and the Holy Spirit enjoy together. Lord, may these thoughts this morning, may they open up our understanding to the ways in which we fail. Fail with a view of knowing your grace, your forgiveness, and your love and a freedom to learn to love better, to love you and to love one another. And we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.